0: It's episode 54 of The Build. We're in our Jordan
1: he- Harris era. I can't believe I almost messed that up. He's still here. Our Charles Hudon hour. Our Mikhail Grabowski moment. And just one more, because there is in fact only one more left. Our Patrick Traverse time. And if you're anything like me, I know what you're thinking. Didn't Mikhail Grabowski wear 84? He did. But not in Montreal. In Montreal, he wore two numbers in regular season games, 59 and 54. So we will be saying hello to Grabowski again in a few weeks. Um, His birth year is 1984, so I imagine that's why he wanted to wear it. However, when he was in Montreal, Guillaume Latandres had it. So uh, he wasn't going to give it up for some rookie. Uh, So Grabowski also went on to wear it in Toronto and Washington and New York with the Islanders. So that's the story behind Mikhail Grabowski. And I'll also use this as an opportunity to update you all on the whereabouts of one Charles Houdon. Uh, after a pretty decent season with the Colorado Eagles of the AHL, that's the Avalanche farm team, he signed a two-year deal with the Ontario Reign, the LA Kings farm team. Uh, if you want to feel old, Charles Hudon is now 29 years old. <laughs> so not quite... Uh, the, you know, the, the, the prospect that we once thought he was. Still, he seems to be making a really great AHL career for himself, which I know, you know, folks seem to thumb their nose at, but that's the second best hockey league on the planet, and he's playing in it, and he's playing really well in it, um, so good for him. All right, enough reminiscing. We have literally the rest of the preseason to break down, uh, and a bunch of cuts along the way, and some players who maybe were cut a little bit later than we thought they were going to be. So we will start in the third game of the preseason against Toronto. Um, if you remember how we broke this down last time, I've, you know, I've taken in the preseason as uh, a method of seeing what the Canadians think about their guys and where they think they'll be playing. Um, I think <laughs> with seeing the practice lines today on Monday, uh, October 9th, It's uh. It, it seems like that entire exercise was kind of thrown into the garbage in some respects. Not in all of them, but in a few instances. But we'll we'll go through these these games as I watched them. I took notes, uh, and I you know I don't want to throw those away uh, because I do think it's valuable to see the game through the way that they're, uh, the, you know, the guys who are in charge of this team are seeing the game. Um, In this one, the top line looked like a potential third line, with Monaghan centering Armia and Anderson. Obviously, we know what happened to Yoel Armia, more on that later, but um, at the time, it looked like this could be a potential third line. The second line looked like a potential fourth line, with Evans centering Tanner Pearson and Brendan Gallagher. And the bottom two lines are AHL caliber lines, with Beck centering uh, Joshua and uh, Jesse Ulanen, who ultimately made the Canadians anyway. Um, and on the third line, we have Steven centering Misak, Misak, sorry, and uh, Parker Jones. Uh, on defense, Mayu gets another look with Jordan Harris. Arbor Jacay gets a look with uh, Lindstrom. And Bodin gets a look with Barron. So an NHLer with an AHLer on each pairing. Um, that seemed to be a, a theme throughout the preseason, at least in the early going, when, you know, full pairs weren't completely locked in. Uh Primo played the entire game for the Canadians in net. Um so here's what I noticed throughout, and apologies for any background noise. I'm trying to cancel as much of it out as possible, but um such is uh the way of the apartment. Um perhaps not the hardest thing to see, but John Parker Jones might be the biggest human I've seen play for the Canadians at six foot seven, and he looks every inch of that. Um, He's a converted defenseman, now playing forward. It was really hard to miss him out there for a few reasons. One, he's massive. He took up most of the real estate on my TV. Two, in camp, he wore 76, and on that sweater, it will always catch my eye. And three, he played a really good game. He had two high danger chances for the Habs, tied for first on the team with Evans. It was a pretty boring game, admittedly. Um, An absurd expected goals rate of 94%. He looks like a legitimate option for the Rocket at forward, um, and that's not even his natural position. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how he adapts to the AHL game, if this one game was just sort of a flash in the pan. But for a big dude, he was moving out there, like he didn't look out of place. On a more critical note, the Habs power play continues to be entirely brutal. It doesn't matter who they roll out there, the philosophy is the same, and it, and it just isn't working. The zone entry continues to kill them. Um, if they don't score on their initial possession, the power play is essentially over because they struggle getting back into the zone with possession. And the, the, the strategy they use to get back into the zone has not changed. It's typically a drop pass in the neutral zone from one forward to another. Usually like Nick Suzuki is the one carrying the, the mail here. But then all four other players just stand on the blue line. And they essentially try to like, they, they treat Nick Suzuki like a running back. Except in football, you can, you can, you know, push guys out of the way when they don't have the ball. In hockey, you can't do that. So essentially, they're setting it up to be, you know, a running back trying to find a hole in the offensive and defensive lines. But they can't do any of that. They can't, they can't muscle him over that blue line. And even if they do... Okay, so you managed to get in. Now you've got all four guys back at the blue line, and Nick Suzuki, who had speed, is now completely
0: by himself at the face-off circles. It just... It, does not, it, it defies logic to me that they have not even tried
1: a different way of, of performing on this power play. And I kept seeing the argument that the Canadians don't have good enough personnel to have a, power, a good power play, which I generally don't agree with. In the games where the Canadians had all their best players, you know, and the power play, the top power play unit was Suzuki, Caulfield, Doc, Monahan, Matheson. They still did not look great. And that, that power play unit played in the last preseason game against an, essentially the Belleville Senators, Ottawa's farm team. And they looked generally better, but they still didn't like, you would expect that a full NHL power play against essentially an AHL penalty kill could score once or twice. It it was a real it's it's really challenging watching this. Um and even in this one where the, the, the you know in the game game 3 against Toronto where the personnel is not a full complement of top 6 NHLers, I'm not expecting them to have the same offensive punch. I am expecting them to generate more than 3 shots on 6 power plays essentially every other power play they decided they weren't going to shoot. Like, you're not, it's not, I shouldn't need to tell you guys that you're not going to score on a power play where you don't shoot the puck. I like Marty St. Louis. I liked the player. I really like the coach. I love the whole message that he represents and the culture that he's building.
0: This power play is on him. When he showed up, he took it back from Alex Burrows. It is not Alex Burrows. And the fact that is this is his second full training camp.
1: And it's his second full training camp with essentially the same top power play unit. It's the same
0: unit. Caulfield, Doc, Suzuki, Monahan, and Matheson was available to him last year. And
1: the fact that it, it is his second full training camp, and it looks identical to the power play we saw at the beginning of last training camp and throughout the regular season is a legitimate concern. I don't need to see results of the puck going in the net in order to see progress. We need to see a team that can regroup when things don't go immediately as planned off that faceoff. Even though Nick Suzuki has been terrific at the dot in the preseason, and I hope he carries that into the regular season because it seems like he really worked on it. We need to see a, a group that can use modern power play strategies like the bumper below the goal line. To generate chances instead of just hoping a passing lane to Caulfield opens up, or that the penalty kill forgets Suzuki exists so that he can do that slingshot move and gain momentum from the neutral zone. And they've tried the bumper with Monahan occasionally. I, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times they went to Monahan below the goal line
0: on the power play throughout the entire preseason. Like it just didn't happen very often. So the power play is bad, but you knew that. Um, Back to the matter at hand, I had an idea for where Anderson should play in this lineup
1: that is now entirely defunct, but I want to say it anyway because I think it uh, it made me laugh. Remember when I said last episode that Anderson shouldn't play with anyone you want to have the puck because he absolutely will not share it? Well, I think I found that spot for him, at least I thought I did. Just stick him with Yoel Armia. The puck absolutely dies on Armia's stick. <laughs> it sounds like I'm just using this as an opportunity to dump on both Anderson and Armia at the same time, and there may be some truth to that, but I genuinely thought this would have
0: been a good idea, a third line of, like... of like Monahan, Anderson and Armia. It would, it would be fine, <laughs> because you could just, because you could just let Anderson go. He doesn't have to
1: think about getting the puck to anybody. He can just go. And I think that's when he's at his best, which is why I really don't like him on that top line with Coffee than Suzuki, because there are more creative players on the ice who are not going to get the puck. Of course, now we know Armia will not be on the Canadiens to start the season, so all of this was for nothing.
0: Um, I really continued to like where Joshua was at in his development. Um, all
1: game against Toronto in that that third game of the preseason he seemed to be like in every shooting and passing lane he was just disrupting disrupting the other team's offense whether that was you know on the forecheck or you know in shooting and passing lanes while they occupied the offensive zone i really like where he's at i'm excited to see how this season goes for him in laval um you know if the canadians continue to have as many injuries as they have in the past he might get a call up this year um but you know, I think it'd be good for him to just stick in the AHL, learn the pro game, and then make his way to Montreal eventually. Um, I thought C- Caden Primo had a decent game in net, uh, two goals against, but the second one bounced off of Beck and in. The first one was a clean look from Matthew Nyes, but it came off a brutal giveaway from Barron behind the net. Um, so you know, you can fault him on the shot itself, but he didn't really have a ton of time to get ready for that shot because of the the, the puck was turned over behind him. He didn't you know, he didn't have time to react. But even so, the the non-Montembo options in net for the Canadians remain uninspiring. Like I'm not and even Montembo's we'll get into later on in this um this episode. The 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 goaltending competition that was to be, it seems like none of them want to get the starting position uh, in in the the Canadiens' net. Um, And speaking of Justin Barron, who turned that puck over on the Matthew Nyes goal, he really struggled in camp. Uh, I don't think he looked comfortable at all. The last game he looked a little bit better, I will say that. Um, But it's eerily similar to last season when he had a really bad camp. And he, you know, he was sent down to Laval to start the season. He had a bad start in Laval. And then he played his way out of it and just, didn't, you know, he made it to Montreal and just didn't look back. I I hope he can repeat that. But it is a bit concerning that this is two straight training camps for him and he has not been able to, you know, find some kind of consistency in his game. Uh, Montreal falls in this one 2-1. And they get right back at it the next night against nearly the same Leafs roster in the same building. They didn't even move to Toronto. They, they stayed in Montreal. But after that game, we had some cuts. Um, the obvious Laval guys went to Laval. Among them, Phil Meshar and Joshua Waugh. I wanted to see Waugh at least one more time, but I understood the cut. It lets Montreal see more of their guys in NHL spots, and it really lets Waugh get a good start with the Rocket. Uh, I thought Phil Meshar had a decent camp. I thought his skating looked looked really great. It really it was a standout for me. Uh, but he's still a very raw player in need of minutes at the at a lower level. I also worry about his size. I mean, I know it's 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 very hockey man thing to be like he's too small, but he looks very small out there. So he needs to find ways to operate in space in order to, um, you know, have an NHL career for himself. Um and Owen Beck finds his way back to the Peterborough Peets of the OHL. Owen Beck somehow still isn't 20 yet because I think he's been 19 years old for 30 years. Like, I don't understand how this guy is still eligible for for the CHL. Um, That means, you know, by the the transfer agreement between the NHL and the CHL, he could not go to Laval. He had to go back to the OHL. Uh, Decent camp from Beck as well. Didn't look that out of place. He didn't look out of place last year. Um, I, I, this is why I think it would be really beneficial for him to go to the, the AHL. But this CHL NHL agreement, I, I think the, the concept that it, it is formed with the player's best interest in mind is incorrect. Um, I think it's to, to, to keep the CHL populated with young, um, you know, star talent and not, you know, send them to the AHL. For whatever reason, I think Owen Beck would be way better suited playing for the Laval Rocket this year, but that's neither here nor there. All right, Game Four against Toronto. Um, Montreal almost entirely turned over the roster for the second game against Toronto. The top line looks familiar to those who have listened to the show: Caulfield, Suzuki, and Newhook. Not Kerfoot, as I said in the last episode. Thank you to Kay for checking me on that one. Uh, That top line is one that I thought that they were going to start the season with. I predicted it, um, was it last episode or two episodes ago? Um, I just kind of, I kind of like what Newhook would bring to that line. It doesn't look like he'll start the season on that line. We have, we have the lines um,
0: from Monday's practice and, you know, it's still, it still was nice that they gave it a shot. Um, But, anyway, uh, the second line is RHP, Doc, and Slavkovsky. Uh,
1: Heinemann, Kidney, and Elias Anderson on the third, and Pozzetta Maye, and Farrell on the fourth line. Um, defense, Norlander, and Baron were the top pairing. Uh, Gooley played with Reinbacher once again, and Trudeau played with Kovacevic. Uh, Montembeau gets the start. Dobish came in in relief in the third. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, going back to that first line, I thought Newhook added a bit more speed to that line. Um. I, the, Suzuki and Caulfield aren't exactly burners by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're perfectly fine skaters, but they don't have elite breakaway speed. I don't think Newhook does either, but he certainly seemed... He, I think at the start of camp, he might be the fastest, um, most agile Canadian skater. Um, he, he, just, he looked really, really good in preseason. Uh, this game had much more pace than the last Habs Leafs games, but we still saw a lot of the same. Montembeau seems to have a hard time sealing his posts right now. He had that weird goal, uh, bounce in against New Jersey, where the puck sort of bounced off the end wall and somehow snuck in because he didn't, he didn't seal off his right post. And in this one, Matthew Nyes, again, goes for a wraparound. Montembeau appears to get his skate on the post before Nyes Montem- before gets the puck there, and yet the puck somehow goes in. Um, so not a great trend there. Um, speaking of trends, the power play stunk. And it had most of its first true, un- true first unit, so not great. And Barron had another really rough night. Uh, they played him in back-to-back games. He did not look good in either of them. Um, Dobish, on the other hand, he did look pretty good in relief of Primo. I thought he might have been the best Canadians goalie in camp. He had very limited time, um, you know,
0: playing. But I can only go off of what I've seen. And from what I saw, he looked pretty good. Um, and in a shift
1: late in the game, when the Canadians were trying to mount a comeback, we saw Jonathan Kovačević take a shift with Kaden Gouli. Uh, this was sort of, at least for me, the first time that I, you know, you, I saw them as a future pairing. Um, they had two offensive zone faceoffs. The first one was won by the center, back to Kovačević. He looked Gouley's way, didn't like the play, made a saver play that resulted in another offensive zone draw. And on that draw. They want it back to Kovacevic again. This time he looked to Gouli, and Gouli I think, learned from the last one, and so did Kovacevic. Gouli kind of activated and got in behind the forward that was on him. Kovacevic made a nice area pass, um, and Gouli was all alone on the goalie. He scored Montreal's only goal of the game. Kovacevic is a really, really smart hockey player. Um, he was in the rotation last season. I do not think that will be the case this season. He's, he's one of the best four defensemen on this roster. Um, assuming Matheson starts the season on time, which it very much seems like he will, um, a, a second pairing of Gouli and Kovacevic would be very effective, and that's what we saw in practice on Monday, was that, that pairing was set up, um, right, you know, as, as the middle pairing for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, for the second straight game, Montreal calls a timeout late in the third, with the goalie pulled, Alex Burroughs draws up a play, and for the second time in as many nights, that play was ineffective. I don't mean to keep ripping on this guy, but outside of sending out the forwards, which thanks to Andrew Berkshire for helping me out with that one because I didn't know what Alex Burrows did. The only other thing we know he's responsible for behind the bench is drawing up that extra attacker play and it's not something he does particularly well. And the, you know, like, I can understand the results not being great if the process made sense. The process doesn't make sense. In this one, you know, at the face-off, Caulfield was on the point. He was on the, the blue line on the face-off, which makes sense. Like, you know, you're kind of shifting this into a power play scenario where you're going to try to slide him down to the wall after winning the draw. But he just stayed there. He stayed at the blue line, <laughs> and the Canadians never really got a shot from him. It seems to be a very poor application of Caulfield's skill set. And I, I go back to last year. One of the only times where they managed to tie a game late was because Jonathan Druen ignored what Alex Burroughs had drawn up. I think it was Nick Suzuki after the game. He, he, he made a point that, you know, was that what he was asked, was that what Burroughs drew up? And he said, no, Druen saw a better play and made it. So it's very frustrating to watch that. I mean, I won't be all that frustrated this season because. A high draft pick is still what the Canadians are targeting, at least in my estimation. But moving forward, like they're going to have to start finding ways to win those games. And when you lose a lot of them this way, it becomes very difficult to dig yourself out of it. Another loss to Toronto, this time 3-1. And another set of cuts, this time with a bigger name. In David Reinbacher, he goes back to Switzerland. Um, His training camp with the Canadians ended. I thought Reinbacher would make the, would make the roster just based on the history of Canadians picks in that range. It's very rare that the Canadians have a top five pick. That's not a goalie and they keep him, you know, or I should say it's very rare that they send that player back to their junior team. So It was very, it was somewhat surprising to see them announce it um, at all, let alone with a week of training camp left. Um, with that said, it's, This is in the best interest of the player and the team. The Habs' blue line is crowded. He wouldn't be able to get consistent ice time. And now he can develop out of the spotlight in Montreal, which I think is incredibly valuable to a young player. I thought Reinbacher did what other Habs' high picks have done in their first training camps. He looked like he could tread water in
0: the NHL, but there's probably more to gain from him not being in the NHL right away. All right, we're moving on to our next game. Game 5 at Toronto. Uh, before the game, Montreal
1: announced that Newhook would be day-to-day with some kind of injury, uh, meaning the top line goes back to something familiar, Anderson, Suzuki, Caulfield. I don't think this line makes a ton of sense, given what the Canadians can ice on a nightly basis if people are healthy. But it does make sense in a pinch with Newhook out and not wanting to disturb too many lines by perhaps moving Doc up there, or, you know, RHP, which we'll get into in a little bit. So, I don't love it, but in a situation where you might not have another option, that's, it's fine. Um, Doc, RHP, and Slath get another game together. Uh, Pearson, Monaghan, and Gallagher look like a legitimate bottom six line. Uh, Heineman, Evans, and Ulanin is line four which is, at the time that this game took place, I thought it was such a weird line because you have an NHLer in Jake Evans, a player who has surprised and looked well in uh, Heinemann, and a forward who needs waivers to be sent down to Laval and has sort of just treaded water in Ulanen. Uh, you know underlying numbers look, throughout camp looked pretty good, but just like watching him, I, do, I, I haven't seen much. Um, I was kind of hoping that he would take another big step forward, but it just didn't—it didn't really pan out that way. Um, on defense, Norlander plays on the top pair with Savard. Um, Norlander has been a really nice surprise in training camp. He—he's played within himself. He hasn't made a ton of huge mistakes. He also looks pretty strong offensively. Zajac um, and Kovačević play second pair of minutes. They give Gouli the night off. And the third pair is one we've seen before in Harris and Mayu. Uh, heading into the game, I was kind of surprised that Mayu and Norlander were getting this long of a look, but I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Canadians really don't have a ton of offensive options on defense. Like it's basically Matheson and sometimes Ghoulie and that's it. <laughs> so I think they wanted to give those guys a look and see what they might have. Um, it's a crowded blue line. It, it's... It's a, really, it's a real challenge for guys to make this roster who, who weren't here last year, just based on the fact that like no one has moved out except for Edmondson. And even last year, I don't think Edmondson was playing in training camp. Um, for Mayu, it's, it's clear that he has offensive talents that are nearly NHL ready, but the overall game needs to be rounded out. I think his decision making needs to be molded a bit better. I think the Canadians want to see him as much as they can before sending him back because they, they just have not seen a ton of him since he was drafted. Some of that due to his own being, some of that due to injuries, some of that due to COVID. Um, you know, of course, as I wonder all of that about the Canadians and their philosophy defensively, Neulander finally breathed some life into a listless Canadians power play. He really didn't do much, but the bar is so low that it makes him seem like the next search of art. He just wristed a puck from the blue line and it bounced around and went in the net. Like That's the sort of thing that like, I, I find f- most frustrating about this power play is that even if they just threw the puck at the net every once in a while, they'd probably more su- be more successful than they currently are because they just don't do that. They're waiting for the absolute perfect shot instead of just creating chaos in front of the net. That's why I love what Norlander did here, and he does it later on in, in the preseason as well. Just if you, if you don't have a pass or if you want to create something, just throw it at the net. What's the worst that happens? Uh, on the other side, shortly after the power play goal, Jake Allen lets in a goal that just should not go in. Um, he com- continues to look like a complete non-option for an NHL team. Even outside the goal, he was making a lot of like very difficult decisions, playing the puck behind his net. He makes me nervous out there. Like I, I don't, I don't get that way watching Mountain or Primo really. Like, but just because Allen does have such a, a, you know, a tendency to want to play the puck behind the net or you know along the boards, even like I, I just. I, He's he's really he really makes me nervous back there. I don't really know how else I can I can put that. Um, this is very clearly
0: Montembeau's team, and that's saying something because I think Montembeau has just been okay. He's been mid, not bad, not great, just mid. Um. On the other two defensemen I talked about a minute ago, it became obvious to me very quickly that the Leafs were line
1: matching their best lines against the Canadiens' third pair. And Mayu just could not hack it defensively. He got turnstiled around his own net. The Leafs got a chance that was so dangerous off of that play that Suzuki had to take a penalty to bail Mayu out. They ended up getting scored on on the power play anyway. Um, Later, Mayu gets away with a tripping penalty, and then a few seconds later, he makes up for it by taking an even dumber penalty. Um, Later on, he took the puck in on the wall, and he got popped by Lilgren. Lil Green. it was just a really rough game for Mayu, figuratively and literally. I, I understand why fans are excited about him. I really, I do. Like, as much as I, you know, his, his
0: off-ice issues are a different matter entirely, I get why fans are excited about him. He has offensive
1: potential, and it's something the Canadians do not have right now under contract. Lane Hudson isn't here yet and this is the closest thing we have to having a guy in the NHL who can do this sort of thing but we need to temper our expectations with this player because if he cannot be trusted defensively and if he does not work on his decision making he will not play meaningful NHL minutes if an NHL team that is trying to be a playoff team and a cup contender cannot trust a defenseman to you know make a safe play and get the puck out to cover the front of the net, to defend the other team's top players. If you cannot be trusted to do those things, you will not play in the NHL. And I only say this because there are parts of this fan base that seem to be penciling him in on the top pair within two years, and I just don't know that that's reasonable. This is his draft plus three season. Um, Byron Bader's hockey prospecting model has Mayu at about a 31% chance of becoming an NHLer with just a 3% chance of becoming a star. A lot of that is because he just doesn't have a ton of data. There's not, he doesn't have a lot of reps over the last few years. Um, that, I think some of those numbers can improve with some strong AHL data, but I, I still think we have to temper our expectations for this player. I'm not saying he's never going to be an NHL player. I, far from it. I
0: think that he has the skill set to pull it off, but he has to think the game better than he currently does. Uh, Other thoughts on the
1: blue line from this one? I thought this was the most comfortable Jack I had seen so far in the preseason. He had some bad shifts, sure, but he had some really excellent ones as well. Um, Kovacevic among defensemen might have had the best training camp for the Canadians. He's looked really solid. Um, And like I said with the last game, I don't think he can be a rotation guy this year. I think even if Matheson is healthy, which it certainly seems like he is, I have him fourth on the, the, the defensive depth chart. Um, up front, there really wasn't too much that caught my eye. Slavkovsky had one notable play, a centering pass to Doc that Doc couldn't cash in on. Um, I was pretty neutral on his camp coming into this game. But it seems like a lot of the po- the positive momentum he had from his goal early in camp has kind of just d- disappeared. But to this point, he does end up scoring in the last preseason game, hooray! But you know, just one five-on-five scoring chance for Slavkovsky in this game against Toronto. You know, he's playing with guys who make every. He's playing with the guy in Kirby Dock who you know, I don't I don't know that he's necessarily the Canadian's number one center, but but Doc seemingly makes. Every line that he's on, one of, if not the best line on the ice. It doesn't matter who his winger's on. He, he, he can, you know, he can shift that line into another another gear. So it's disappointing that Slavkovsky seems to play with Doc and doesn't really seem to generate much in that role. Um, uh, you know, and... In, in, at the end of camp, he, I think Slavkovsky ends up playing five of the six preseason games. I think he played more than anybody else. And it just it, the offense, you know, there were some games where he got a lot of chances and things didn't click. There were some games where he didn't get a ton of chances and you can't score if you're not getting those chances. So it, it became a challenge. Um, I, I, and in this one, I, you know, I, I, I say a lot of, you know, borderline slanderous things about Josh Anderson, I understand. But I still think he's a very, very good hockey player. Like, in this game against Toronto, he seemed like the Josh Anderson that we were getting last season before he hurt his
0: leg. I just don't love the line. The line. I love all those players individually and in their own right, but I just don't
1: think Anderson is the right fit up there. And we'll see in, in the regular season. Josh Anderson, they'll start against Toronto on Wednesday, Josh Anderson loves scoring against the Maple Leafs. He's probably going to score and make everybody forget that that line isn't very good, and we'll have to pick up the pieces from there. Uh, This one required overtime, and while Marty St. Louis didn't have a full complement of NHL defenders, I did find it interesting that he started the overtime with Coffey and Suzuki and Jordan Harris as the lone defender. It was really nice to see Harris get this chance because I think his play style really suits situations where he has more room to operate. And he made the most of it. He jumped up in the rush that ultimately won Montreal the game. I I really, really, this season, one of the things I want to see more is Jordan Harris in more non-five-on-five situations. I want to see him on the power play. I want to see him more on -on four-on-four because I think that's where his game really takes off. And I really want to see him as the top offensive option in overtime. Because we know, we feel pretty confident that, you know, maybe next year or the year following, that's going to be Lane Hudson in those situations. Okay, but what if they don't score on the first shift? What if they don't get scored on on the first shift? Harris is a guy you can roll out immediately after that. And I love Gouley. I just don't, I, I, like, I like these players more in this particular instance. So let, let, let Jordan Harris cook. I really want to see that, that, that play out. Uh, the day following Game 5, Montreal announced that Logan Mayu was headed back to Laval, which makes a ton of sense. There's no reason to play him in the NHL right now if he's not ready. There are too many bodies here as it is. Let him go play huge minutes in Laval. Rack up power play time. Learn how to quarterback a professional power play. And and work on his decision-making defensively, and I think they'll have an NHL player here. I really do. All right, game six against Ottawa. Finally, the preseason comes to an end with a trip to Canada to take on what is essentially the Belleville Senators. Um, Montreal, on the other hand, sent a nearly full lineup. Um, The only regulars that I made a note of that didn't play in this game were Savard, Anderson, Gallagher, Pearson, Gouley, and Kovacevic. Um, up front, we saw the reunion of Suzuki and Caulfield with Harvey Pennard. Anderson not being there. It leads me to believe that the, the, uh, the, the Canadians probably see Anderson as the top option on that line. And if he's not there, Harvey Pennard is a good second place. Um, especially because, you know, the second line of Newhook, Doc and Slav has looked pretty good. It doesn't, you know, we, I, as much as I'd like to see Newhook on that
0: first line. He looks really great next to Doc and Slavkovsky, so keep him there. Um, Haneman, Monahan, and Armia
1: line up third. Um, after which, <laughs> it's so funny. Like I don't, I have no idea who Monahan's gonna play with this year, because <laughs> in that game, the final tune-up game, it's probably gonna be Gallagher and Pearson. Because in that game, the two guys he played with are now in Laval. <laughs> like it's very funny to me that like they just couldn't find a line for. For Sean Monahan, they used him everywhere in preseason, and I mean, they'll end up probably with Gallagher and, and, and Pearson if Monday's practice lines are to be believed. And the fourth line of Pizetta, Evans, and Ulanin, um, sort of a last chance there for them to show what they have. On the blue line, Matheson makes his preseason debut along Lindstrom alongside Lindstrom, that is. And I th- I, I'm, I'm not certain, but I believe that this was the first full preseason game Matheson played for the Canadians because last year he got like midway through one and then left with an injury. Um, Norlander and Barron come in as the second defensive pairing. Um, both are really on the cusp of, of you know making the team and being a starter. So it's interesting to pair the two of them together almost being like, hey, you guys go out there and figure it out. Um, and Jack I and Harris line up as a potential third pairing for the regular season Canadiens, and by Monday's practice lines, we know that that is going to be the Canadians' third pairing, at least to start the season. Barron was rotating in and out on that pairing. Uh, Montabu gets the full game in front of Caden Primo, with Allen getting the night off. Lots to unpack in this one. Slavkovsky gets Montreal on the board early. He, just, he scored a goal very similar to the one that he scored against, I believe, New Jersey earlier in the preseason. It could have been Ottawa. I can't really remember. It's, it's all blurring together into one game. Um, but he just he got a rebound and whacked it home from right outside the blue paint. If he can do that with some regularity, he's going to be very successful. Um, especially with a defense core that likes to get pucks onto the net. Matheson and Jacki and potentially Norlander at some point in the season. They like to put pucks in dangerous places for guys like Slefkowski to be able to just bang and rebounds. Um, another guy benefiting from that sort of philosophy already is Sean Monahan. He tips home uh, his second Norlander shot of the preseason. But to go back to Slavkovsky, I thought he finished the preseason very strong. He had a really, really strong game. At 5-on-5, five five, natural stat trick had him with the highest individual expected goals. Um, there was one play where he got boarded by Parker Kelly, where I think we sort of saw a little bit of last year's Slavkovsky, and I want to, I want to place this in, in a, you know, in a conversation where I am not blaming Slavkovsky for getting boarded. That's not what I'm doing here. The onus is on Kelly to let up in that situation. I totally understand that it's a penalty. However, power plays do not cure concussions. And, you know, Slavkovsky is on the boards. He's got his left shoulder towards the boards. His back is not facing the center of the ice. The puck comes around the boards, and it jumps over his stick. And he just, he reacted. He reacted, and his reaction was to turn towards the boards to try to reach back and grab that puck.
0: And in doing so, he invites contact into the back from Parker Kelly. He has a tendency to forget that he's not the only person on the ice whenever he's within, like, three feet of the boards. Like, there is a highlight reel, a lowlight reel, really, of plays from last season
1: where Slavkovsky is along the boards and he just takes some really bad contact because he just doesn't know
0: where he is. Um, I, I, I'm glad he's not hurt. It's obviously a pe- a penalty on Parker Kelly, which they called, and that's fine. Um,
1: I'm glad the team jumped in, even though I don't necessarily think that you know Kelly intended for that to happen. You still jump, you know, you still jump in for your teammate. But I I just I need I I would really really feel more comfortable with him out there if he started to understand the his place
0: in in the space of the rink which has been a challenge. Um, sticking with that line, Alex Newhook's speed
1: is a difference maker. Regardless of what line he plays on, I still think he might be the fastest skater on that line. I'd like to see him and Anderson go head-to-head in just a straight line and see who,
0: can, who, who will get to the, uh, the other end of the rink first. Um, because I think that's, that speed creates space.
1: Regardless of what, you know, of, of what line he plays on, or, or who he's with, he's going to create space by using his speed. Because you can, you can create space in, in two different ways. One is the traditional sense that hockey dudes love, which is just to be really big and invite a lot of contact so that you can create space for your teammates um, outside of that contact. Or you can, use, you can make space by using speed to back up the defenders. New Hook does the latter, and Doc and Slavkowski do the former. So that can be a really effective line for those reasons. They're creating space for their teammates using different methods of doing so. Um, I think that kind of line is really tough to game plan against. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when they start the season, how are they performing? Are teams finding a way to match that speed and size? Um, You know, are they isolating different players on that line to make it less effective? Um, Matheson in this one, he looked fantastic. He's a dynamic player on the back end. He tries to make something happen just about every time he's out there. The power play still somehow didn't score in a game where the Canadians scored six times. Um, actually, did they, did they score? They might have had the, uh... No, I don't know that the Monahan one was a power play goal. It probably was, but still. The fact that they scored six times and they might have only had one power play goal is really funny to me. Um, it looks better with Matheson quarterbacking it. It also looks better because they played an AHL team. Like, I, you know, we can't, I can't separate that. Like on Wednesday when they play Toronto, I don't know that they'll be as successful or at least look as successful as the Canadians looked. Um, And in that, Montembeau was pretty mid in this one. I I, I have not been impressed with any of the goaltenders in the preseason. And that that game six was no exception. He He seems to give up a complete clunker every game. Just one goal a game that he shouldn't be giving up. That one tonight came on a dump in from center. He couldn't handle it. He burped up the rebound. A sense fork checker came and tapped it in between his legs. And I know people looked at Jordan Harris and were like, hey, he needs, to, he needs to clear that puck. I think Jordan Harris is kind of expecting that his goaltender is not going to spit a rebound out three feet in front of him on a play from center ice, which I think is a fair assumption for a National Hockey League defender to make. Um, Natural Trick had the expected goals against in this game at 2.79, and he gave up four. Like, this team does not have the firepower to overcome their goalie just gifting one to the other team. So, he's going to need to improve. It's preseason, so I'm not all that worried yet, but I think I've said this in the past the sample size for good Montembo is about as large as the one for bad Montembo. <laughs> so, like, this is a really big decision year for him. Is he going to be that goalie that the Canadians need, or is he going to be a guy that's consistently like a 900 or below? Um, you know, if I'm Kent Hughes, I need to see more before any kind of contract negotiation. And with that one, the Kings win and they go 3-3 three and three in the preseason, which is um, surprising considering coming into this year, they hadn't won one game in the preseason in three years. Um, so we have final cuts. Uh, teams have until Monday at 5 p.m., which you're probably listening to this afterwards, to finalize their rosters, meaning anyone that needed waivers to be sent to the AHL. Um, needed to be on waivers by 2 p.m. on Sunday, and Montreal did the thing we've heard rumblings of for some time. Along with defenseman Gustav Lindstrom, Montreal waived Joel Armia in order to send them both to Laval. Um, Lindstrom wasn't too much a surprise of a surprise. He he did not do much to make a name for himself in training camp. You know, for better or worse, he was just sort of there for the last two weeks. Um, I think they see him as a perfectly reasonable call up to just play a few games in case of an injury and to allow some of the younger players to stay in the minors if they would rather, you know, have like a, a Norlander or a Mayu stay in Laval to, to get more top pairing reps there. On the other hand, Armia was the same old Armia. I I, I really don't think the Canadians
0: wanted to waive him. But he really didn't give them a a choice. Like he just like Pozzetta had a better training camp than Yoel Armia and Pozzetta's cheaper.
1: Ullinen had a better showing in camp. Even though I, I didn't I don't think he you know jumped off the score sheet, but just Armia just really struggled. He has struggled for the last few years. It's been a really hard few years for him. His play gave the Canadians no choice. Um, they'll get some cap relief from burying him in Laval, but I don't get the sense that that was the motivating force behind making this move. I think waving him was a better option for the Canadians than waving Woolenin, or, to a lesser extent, Pazetta. You know, those guys showed more in camp than Armia did. It would be unfair to keep Armia over those guys. Um, I think Hughes and Gorton made a decision that probably wasn't easy and maybe wasn't all that popular in the locker room, but it was necessary. Uh, with Armia clearing waivers today at 2 p.m., Montreal saves 1.15 million against the cap. You can only bury a certain amount of e- each contract in the minors, so he will still have a cap hit of 2.25 million on Montreal's books. And perhaps now that he has cleared waivers, a team will be more enticed to trade for him since they can just send them to their they can send him to their AHL roster and call him up if needed. Uh, Lindstrom's entire contract is now buried in Laval because he does not make more than 1.15 million. Um, meaning Armia and between Armia and Lidstrom the Canadians will save about 2.1 million dollars against the cap to start the season um so big that's a big decision for the Canadians to make they're you know they're still tr- I, they're still trimming some of the fat away from this roster and and you know he that's a bloated contract for Armia that since he signed it he has not fit in which is just, it's a shame. I feel bad because he's probably a good dude, but it's just, it's a, hockey's a business and it sucks to say, but it's, it's, it's the reality here. Uh, one decision that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton uh, have punted on for the time being is the one to be made in net. Caden Primo was not waived, Jake Allen is still here, and Sam Montembeau is still here, which means that the Canadians intend to start the season with three goaltenders. Um, I cannot remember the last time the Canadians started a season with
0: three goaltenders. Uh, I, I just, it seems odd. I had it, we talked about it, you know, over the offseason. I, I, I thought this was the least likely of the options. Um,
1: it makes sense for the time being because none of them really solidified their spot in the goalie pecking order. Like, they were all pretty bad. So, it gives them a little while to figure out their plan and net. But that's going to become increasingly
0: difficult as the season rolls on because there's only one net that you can give these guys. And, you know, these games are just going to keep rolling on. Are you just going to keep, are you just going to have a rotation
1: where it's Montembo game one, then Allen, then Primo, and you just roll through that? I don't think so. You're probably
0: running Montembo a whole bunch. I uh, it's 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 I'm not I didn't expect any of this. Um
1: so it's it's very odd to me, but I I get why this decision was made. Um so Primo lives another day in Montreal. He does not get waived. Um and the final cuts on Monday were Norlander and Heineman going back to Laval. I really liked both of their camps. I feel confident saying we'll see them in Montreal this season in in call-up situations. Um on defense, Norlander might be the first call-up option. And Heineman can't be that far off um, from, forward, from the forward perspective. So that's it. We made it to the end of, of training camp. It's over. Um, the NHL season starts on Tuesday. Montreal doesn't play till Wednesday. But it's uh, it's go time now. Um, I That was quite a sprint to the end of the preseason for this show. I didn't really intend to cover four preseason games in one episode. But... Um, That's showbiz, I guess. Uh, Throughout the season, I'm hoping to return to the more regular once-a-week format. No set dates for episodes. like, I'm not going to commit to a certain day of the week um, because I want to schedule them around the Canadian schedule so episodes don't feel stale before you get a chance to listen to them. Um, One last thing before we go, I wanted to take a second to ask for your contribution to an important cause. Uh, the past few weeks have been especially difficult in the Middle East between the the violent conflicts and natural disasters. Um, there are people suffering and in need of medical care. Um, Doctors Without Borders is an independent international organization committed to providing medical care for those impacted by conflicts and natural disasters. I have a link down in the description if you would like to contribute. I I know you know I, I I'm aware of Doctors Without Borders through. Um, Actually, through video games, there's a speed running um, charity event that I think they do two a year now called Games Done Quick, where all of the uh, contributions go to Doctors Without Borders. Um, I think they're a great organization in situations like this. They are already on the ground in the Middle East providing care. Um, if, you have, if, you are, if you are able to, if you have the means to do so, um, find a way to contribute that, that you, know, you feel comfortable doing. Um, all right. That's all for this week. I'll be back next week to break down the first few games of the regular season. I hope you'll tune in next time. Share it with your friends. Um, oh, I didn't plug any of my socials. You, you guys know where I am. Um, at maybe it's Ian on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I almost did. Did you hear that? I paused. I almost called it X. That was really bad. Um, at maybe it's Ian.bsky.social on Blue Sky. Um, we're on TikTok, at the build MTL on TikTok. You'll get um, little snippets of these episodes there. Uh, on YouTube, you'll get the same with YouTube shorts as well as full-length episodes uploaded into YouTube. I don't know if anyone's listening there, but it's just another place you can find us. Um, all right, cool. Thanks, guys. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page to hear the rest of his stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye.